Remote work has long moved beyond simply being a trend or a lifestyle. It's a natural evolution in the way we work and collaborate, a complete and vital redesign with profound positive impact for businesses, teams, and society as a whole. With it comes a work culture revolution that requires putting freedom, trust, and conscious behavior at the core of every business who wants to thrive. I'm Sarah Regalhuth, your host, and I'm a serial entrepreneur, investor, and expert in growing happy, high-performing remote teams. Since 2014, I've been running all my businesses remotely, and that has deeply changed who I am as a leader. I've gone from micromanaging an unhappy team, suffering high turnover and working long hours, to moving to the US, traveling roughly six months a year, and loving the shit out of my team and being constantly amazed as to what we're achieving. Join me as I dive into conversations about remote work magic, conscious culture, and the future of work with some of the most inspiring founders and leaders in the remote work space. Insights, tips, success, and failure, innovation, we share it all. Let's dive in. Welcome everyone to this episode of Conscious Culture. I'm very excited to have my first guest from Europe on. I have Katrina Jones, who's a friend of mine through the League of Extraordinary Women, one of my other companies for many years. I guess we've known each other not well at all, but we've known of each other since about 2012 where when the League was in its early days and Katrina actually launched the League in the UK. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. We're here to talk about her company, her group of companies under the Kendall Bailey brand. Yeah, tell us a little bit about all of your, I know you're in property, tell us a bit about your, your companies, Katrina, and welcome. Yeah, sure. Thank you so much for having me. The the companies that I have today were, were never really the plan at all. I never knew anything about property, but I relocated back to the UK from Melbourne in 2011. And someone just introduced me to property as a way to create time and financial freedom to go off and do the things that were most important to me. So I founded my first property company back in 2012. And in a nutshell, we provide high-end boutique house shares for full-time working professionals. So I'll look for landlords or property owners that are willing to rent their property to me for maybe three to five years. And then I'll invest a little bit in it to make it as gorgeous as possible. And then we rent it out by the room like that. And we provide just a really high-end service. They get their own weekly housekeeper. All the bills are paid. We only house working professionals so they're in a group of like-minded you know housemates and then I won my first award for that company within the first 12 months and everybody started to ask you know how did you do it how did you do it so quickly Um, and so I just naturally started to show people what I did and realized very quickly that I could actually start a company to support people in creating their own time and financial freedom as well So that got founded a year later, and it's really wonderful to have helped hundreds and hundreds of people to have done exactly the same thing. And on a daily basis, people are leaving their jobs, firing their boss, their wives are having children and not having to go back to work. So it's the knock-on effect has has been incredible. And I purchased properties on the side to build an asset portfolio too. So that's the the group of companies at present. Amazing. And the properties that you purchase, do they get rented out in the same way or are they? Yeah. Yep. No, oh, exactly that's amazing. The same. Mm-hmm. I've just literally cut and pasted. So there's only one thing to do. 
I love that. I'm a significant investor in a, an Airbnb property management company. And our next move is to build a portfolio of companies that we own. Right now, we just sort of manage them for the, the owners. But yeah, so that's cool. I'm, gl- I'm glad to know my intuition there is potentially on the right track. <laughs> Definitely spot on. I love it. And I love what you're doing and the fact that, I mean, that was back in 2012. I feel like, I guess it's sort of like co-living, right? It's, it's you're providing like really high-end niche co-living. And I think that is very much the future. Like I've intuitively been interested in that space for a long time. And even, you know, these little sort of boutique hotel type, that's the places that I stay. When I travel, it's like I used to stay in hostels when I was, you know, 18 to 22 or 23 or whatever. And now I, I still want that environment where I can meet other people, but I'm not looking for the party and I'm looking for a higher quality, um, you know, bed and room experience. And I, I just think there is so much in that space that's cropped up, whether it's more permanent living arrangements like what you're doing with a smaller group or these kind of more transient places where we can work and live and cook and do all of those things together. But for people our age now where we were the the hostel generation and now we want to have that similar experience but be able to work while we're there and, and all that. So very, very cool what you're doing. Um, but we're here today to talk about culture and leadership and your team. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about your team and how you've, I guess, evolved. Maybe, maybe let's start with how you've evolved as a leader from those early days. I know I was not the best leader necessarily at the start and it's been, you know, a journey of taking those lessons along the way, looking inward, developing myself and coming to a place now where I feel really comfortable in leadership and I I love it, but I would love to hear your journey. Sure, of course. I'm exactly the same as you. It's been one hell of a ride and (laughs) leadership, leadership for me meant something very different before I founded my own companies. I, I managed large sales teams when I was in Australia and leadership at the time really was just simply leading by example. Um, there was one job to be done we were all heading in the same direction and you just led from the front and it was it was looking back now it was just so fun and so simple but then as I as I started to officially hire my own staff that weren't just sales people they were everything they were administrators and managers Mm -hmm. and all sorts it just it was a whole different experience and and if I'm honest with you it was it has been the hardest part of what i've done in the last decade has been learning how to be a, a powerful leader and and it has been purely through self development learning as much as i can from other people who i can see are powerful leaders in their field and just developing myself to a point where i can lead authentically without questioning myself because other people's values might not be aligned to mine. Mm-hmm. And so having the, the self-trust and the balls <laughs> to say, no, <laughs> this is how I want my companies to look. I don't care if Bob over there or Jill over there, their companies might look completely different, but I don't care. This is the direction we're heading in. And these are the, the values that you will probably need to have if you want to come and work with us and head in the same direction the uh, development is the number one thing and and I think not beating yourself up or feeling 
like you're not good enough or you're not there yet because it is a journey and your your job on that journey is to dig and find the people that are leading in the way you want to lead and and learning and educating yourself and then it just happens naturally you implement the things and they work and you think oh my god it worked (laughs) (laughs) going well it's growing people are going from strength to strength they like it they're happy and and the more you practice it and implement it the more trust and confidence you gain in your leadership style and then it just snowballs from there to the point where it's just a natural thing you don't have to think about it or worry about it or work too much on it Mm, I totally agree with you I had a lot of like um just I could feel you talking there a lot of tingles as you were talking and um, I can just feel the energy around all of that it's I, I think you know you hit the nail on the head in that it's about finding your own authentic leadership style. And I think that was a lot of my journey in the beginning was reading all these books and looking up to other people. And that whilst that provided me with, you know, somewhere to look and something to learn, my strength really came when I started to trust myself. And you also kind of nailed it when you said it might not look how other people's companies look. And I sometimes wake up with really strange ideas and I'm like, oh, that seems really weird. Like when I tossed out 90 day planning. We were, I'd done it for 10 years and I woke up in June last year and I was like, this doesn't make sense. Like not everything takes 90 days. And I was like, I don't want to anchor around 90 days anymore. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, like all the business books are written like this. Like you've been doing it for 10 years to, to some level of success for sure. Like, why do you want to do that, Sarah? But you know, at that point in my leadership journey, I certainly knew enough to trust my intuition and to, to at least you know, give it some thought and listen to that voice that was telling me. And I went and spent some time thinking about it and sitting with myself. And then I proposed, you know, once I got clear on, well, if we're not doing that, then what are we doing? Um, Which was more of a fluid ongoing business planning where we can always be bringing essentially projects to the table that need to be that we want to implement and bring to life and anyone in the team can bring one of them and they could be a two week project or a six month project or whatever it might be. Mm. Um, And we tend to have sort of anywhere between five and seven going at a time, which is roughly what we used to have every quarter. Um, But I went and sat with it and then I proposed it to my team a day or two later and just to see what they thought, because I have hired team members who are in alignment with me, who are values aligned, who share the same you know, vision and passion and, and they all agree with me and we tried it and it's been amazing. We're almost a year into that model and we've achieved plenty. I mean, if yeah, arguably quite a bit more than we used to because it's more fluid and that works for me. Like, and I think this, this whole podcast and conversation that I want to have with people is, is a really away from this kind of prescriptive style of like, Oh, do this. This is what works. And I think the only thing I would prescribe to people is like do your inner work as a leader, learn yourself as much as you possibly can and bring yourself to your leadership, bring yourself to the forefront, your authenticity, your alignment. And that seems to be what works best for everybody. Yeah, a hundred percent. I just, I literally just wrote a, a short blog on this the other day and it's, there's a, <laughs> There's the pros and cons of being an, an open-minded entrepreneur and leader. And, and I think we get taught things that we take for gospel. Mm-hmm. And, and people, you know, there's people say things like, find the person you want to be like and, and model them or find the company they've built, research them and model. But then what we'll do is we'll find five different people that inspire us and we'll read each of their books 
and then we've got five different ways of doing something and and we're trying to do it all at once or or we're implementing things that for some reason feel a bit sticky and don't seem to work and I think the the art is to do all of the research and learn all of the lessons and then really just stop and have a reflection of which ones work for me which ones resonate with me which ones give me the goosebumps and make me think yes that's me or mm-hmm. which bit do I think oh I hear you but I'm not feeling you and to to have the the courage to just put it to one side and and know that that's not for you not for your style yeah mm-hmm. which comes back to the simple fact that there's no right or wrong good or bad mm-hmm. there just is you know there's yeah. just many different ways to do anything in this world many different ways to approach anything and it's really just finding what feels most resonant to you for sure so tell us a little bit about your team like how big is your team are you guys remote or do you work in an office um what kind of hierarchy or structures do you have just yeah paint the picture for us a little bit yeah sure so i'm i'm blessed with quite a small team we've managed to build um a million pound group of companies and the team is five people (laughs) that's amazing i love that (laughs) The irony of it, Sarah, honestly, when I look back, it's a, it's just such a, a cringe, but also bless me because I didn't know any different. There was a time when the company was, was three times smaller, but I had twice the staff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I read books about delegation and leverage and, you know, training people to do your job. And, and I just got so carried away with it. I had a member of staff for every single job there there could possibly be. And I think one of the biggest distinctions I ever made was the, the difference between a manager and a leader. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't really made that distinction. So whilst I was a phenomenal leader and my excitement alone was enough to, you know, have everyone go, yes, we don't even know what you're talking about, but we're doing that. The actual management side <laughs> was a completely different story. And 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 management and leadership are obviously very different. So it took me to nail the management aspect. And one of the the best moves I ever, ever made was when I was honest enough with myself to realise that management wasn't a strength at all. If anything, it's my biggest weakness, Um, as opposed to leadership being one of my biggest strengths. I then hired someone who had 10 years more experience than me. He's one of my key members of the team now. And, you know, he was 10 years older, 10 years more experienced. And it was only through personal growth that I was able to have the confidence to hire somebody that's skilled and not feel like they're better than me at the job. And that's a bad thing. It made me realise they're better than me. And it's a smart move was was in itself a humongous learning curve. And it took me about a solid 12 months to even get my head around that one. But he came in and he was like, this is what needs to be done with the black and white day-to-day stuff. And and we grew the business together. We let go of the staff we didn't need. So the team has shrunk. The companies have tripled. And um, I couldn't have done it without him. And I can say that without feeling like um, that's a bad thing, <laughs> which is not. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... No, I just, I just love that. And it's funny how all these cliches are real, right? You know, like they say, like, yeah. <laughs> always hire, like be the dumbest person in the room and hire the people that are smarter than you and all of that. But like yeah. the re- the real honest truth is like, you got to 
work with understanding your ego and get out of your own way to actually be able to do that. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily about the smartest and dumbest, of course, but I think there really is a lot of inner work that needs to be done to truly start hiring people that um, are better than you at their certain areas and, and staying, I call it staying in my own lane. Like I know it's taken me time to figure out where I want to play and that is leadership, strategy and vision. And I like to create content sometimes, but I cannot be relied upon to be the content creator for the business, but I do enjoy it. But what I need to be relied upon and the role that I want to play in my day to day is leadership, strategy and vision. And those are the things that I should be doing and I should not be doing anything else. Like it doesn't matter if I can or can't do the other things. It's just not my role in the company. Uh, And it, it took me a while because there were things that I was perceivably good at that I felt guilty to hire someone else to do. There was that. And then there were things that, you know, I wasn't good at necessarily or that good at, or I certainly wasn't consistent at, but my ego didn't want to admit that we really needed someone else to come in and do that. So it's definitely been a journey. I also really subscribe to the lean team as lean as possible and relate completely with your journey. I remember, I think honestly, like before I had much revenue, I because I couldn't brag about my revenue, I would brag about my team size and I was growing my team. To, oh, we've grown so much. We have 10 people. We've grown so much. We have 13 people. We've grown so much. We have 15. It's like my revenue wasn't growing. <laughs> I was just yeah. getting poorer as I like put all these people on to do all these jobs. And same. yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. kind of in the same boat now where I'm like, everybody on the team has a very important and essential role and they're adding value and you know, we don't have any excess there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Do you know, I think I think for anyone listening who is in a place where they're, they're looking to become a, a stronger leader or, or grow as a person, and they can hear us saying this, but they're thinking, well, what do you actually mean? Like, what does that look like? I think being really honest, my um, the thing that held me back the most from growing my business when I did the work and dug was was that actually the business for me was a reflection of of what I was capable of and I had a lot of self-worth attached to the size of my company and it was part of my identity so I realized through through the inner work that the reason why my company wasn't growing is because I would only ever hire people that weren't quite as good as me so I felt like I was really great <laughs> and I was, mm-hmm. I was, it made me feel smart and in charge and, and that kind of thing. And, and it, I could have read a million business books. I could have done probably, you know, an MBA and all the different sorts and then looked back and that level of inner growth doesn't come from business knowledge and, and business books. It comes from, from getting to know yourself and digging a little bit deeper than what's on the surface and peeling back those layers of the onion. And when I realized that I had a bit of a thing with my self-worth and that it wasn't as strong as it could be and that I was trying to prove my worth through other ways, when I saw it for what it was and I realized why, I discovered why that had happened to me, I was able to completely heal it, let it go. And the next thing, and I'm interviewing this incredible 40-year-old guy and I'm thinking, oh my God, yes, I can hire you and I don't feel threatened and it doesn't feel like your intellect is any reflection of mine. 
we're just two incredible people who have got totally different strengths but when we come together we're going to build an empire and he has weaknesses too but so do I but our strengths are different and we collaborate perfectly and I think that that was the biggest shift in personal growth I've ever had ever Mm. in business for sure. That is so amazing like what was coming up for me when you were talking was like I have this tendency to be this martyr to come in and save the day because that made me feel valuable. You know, I would, I would be like, all right, like let everyone do their thing. And then there would be a bit of chaos or a bit of a mess or a bit of a problem. And I would do the whole like, Oh, it's all right. I've got this. Like I'll clean it up. I'll, I'll pick up the pieces. I'll deal with all the things because it made me feel really like useful it made me feel valuable to the company and it and it fed this story that you know no matter how hard I tried I couldn't find people who you know everyone was incompetent and I was I had to come and save the day and it it fed it was a bit of a victim thing as well like poor me like if only I could find people or if only you know if only the world wasn't so difficult that I had to come and save the day every single time and I mean what a load of bullshit but (laughs) I had to see my own bullshit and heal it and understand once again it was to do with self-worth like that was making me feel valuable and valid and I occasionally will see myself still do it um, luckily I have enough self-awareness now where I'm like, oh, there's just that old story showing up mm-hmm. and I'll like, cause I'll do it on a meeting with someone. I'll be like, oh, well I'll do it for, for now. I'll do it for the next little bit until we figure it out. And then I'm like, wait, like, no, that's just that old story showing up. I mean, I used to live in that. Thankfully it, it rarely appears anymore, but, yeah. um, and I'll call my partners back and be like, actually, no, I'm not going to do that thing. Like that was just me you know, replaying that old pattern and and trying to show up and and gain value. But that's not actually empowering others. It's not solving the problem for the company. Like the company outside of me has an issue right now. And and companies always have problems. Like that's actually what they are. They're just like, there's always constraints, let's call them, that need to be moved. And really as leaders, what we're doing is looking for the next constraint to move so that it can flow freely again. And then where's the next little blockage? And then let's let that flow freely. But if we continue to come in every time with this story that we're the only one that can unblock it and like literally do the work to unblock it, Um, all we're doing is stopping the company from evolving naturally and stopping the people who are in the company from being able to step up and be empowered to, you know, fix whatever it is that needs to be fixed. And I mean, gosh, I look back at my team, how they were and, you know, literally the same people, the very same people that I once thought were incompetent are actually more competent than me at many things. (laughs) Um, And that was just a story that I was living out. And I think it is, the inner work turns out is the only work that matters. Even when we're talking about this context of running companies or whatever it might be, like it all starts with us inside and our experience every day as leaders, our experience in this world is really shaped by what we believe. And those beliefs can shift and change when we do that inner work, our experience starts to shift and change and expand and all of those things. 100%. Oh my goodness. I couldn't agree more. And there, there is a huge impact on your on your companies when you are that way. But there's also a huge impact on you as well. The level of pressure and stress that you carry when you have this thing of, I'll, I'll sort it, I have to swoop in and, and save the day. 
it's it's heavy. It's heavy to carry. Totally. Oh, I mean, I that's how I lived. I lived with this belief system that I had to save everything. Then that really meant that everything was on my shoulders all the time and that nothing would function without me. And, you know, no matter what I did. And then what also happened with that, because I am someone who gets excited about projects and different things, like I'd constantly be wanting to get involved in more things. And whilst that would start off being really exhilarating, it would end up just another burden because I didn't know how to allow things to be as they were and allow people to play their role in it, then everything that I got involved with and took on just became another load that I was carrying. And, you know, ultimately I couldn't, I couldn't go on functioning that way. And thankfully I don't anymore because really now I find the process of being a leader and leading and growing a company to just be just fun and just, you know, there, there are stressful times, but it's very different now. Like even something seemingly stressful I just see it as like I said a constraint like oh cool that's something for me to go nut over and figure out what we can do to resolve it and get back in alignment with the bigger picture strategy or whatever it doesn't feel like me it's not me that attachment to it being me is not there and it doesn't feel so heavy Um, I think I, I was talking the other day about my first few years in entrepreneurship you know, felt like I was in the ocean and I was just being, whatever the waves were doing, whatever the tide was doing, I was doing. I was getting smashed against the rocks and then I was getting dragged in and out. Yeah. Then it might be calm for a minute and then it would happen again. I, it felt like I had no control over any of it. And it really just, it was like those years of learning to swim and then building a little boat that I could just like float on top of the ocean. So the ocean can still do what it needs to do, but I'm like, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, Absolutely. Do you know, the, the limiting beliefs that we have are so interesting because they don't occur to us as limiting beliefs mm-hmm. until we actually get them pointed out, which probably would never happen on your own. It's always a, someone, someone else outside of you or, you know, a book or a podcast or something that makes you go, oh my God, I, I, it's like a blind spot. You just don't see it. And I, I had my biggest story the biggest narrative I had around business was that to to make a lot of money, you had to absolutely graft mm-hmm. blood, sweat and tears or else you, you didn't deserve it. You know, money doesn't come easily. Money doesn't grow on trees. Technically it does. <laughs> <laughs> Those beliefs. And I remember, you know, working when I first grew my business, I took my first 10 investment properties on in, in 10 months. And, and I was just, I mean, I, I hardly slept. It was mostly through excitement, but also just this incessant desire to just not stop doing. And whilst it achieved the results, that level of doing is not something that you can maintain long, long term and have a healthy, happy, wholesome feeling of well-being in your life. It's, it's not sustainable, you know, for 10 years, <laughs> maybe 10 months, but... um. Yeah, I, I remember reading a book um, by T. Harvecker, Secrets of the Millionaire Mind. And it was in that book that I discovered that I had the belief I had to work my fingers to the bone to make money. And when that shifted, that's when I realized, wow, making money isn't about how hard you work at all. It, in fact, sometimes it's quite the opposite. It's just providing value. Money is an exchange for for what the perceived value is of the person purchasing or, or, you know, giving you the money. And it just totally shifted my mindset. 
And if anything, I then started to, which felt cheeky to begin with, and then I grew into it thinking, well, how could I do the most in terms of making the most money and actually physically do the least? And it became like a game. <laughs> and all, and all, the, all the things still got done. The people all still received the value and everybody got paid. But I was like, oh, I feel 10 years younger. This is, this is fun. <laughs> this is good. Isn't it amazing? Like there is infinite possibilities about how we can approach this life. (laughs) And we just get stuck in these stories, but like it is a game actually. And we can just start to think, well, what about trying it this way? Or what about doing things that way? And anything Mm -hmm. is possible. I'm ashamed to say that I perpetuated that story. You know, I would be up on stage speaking and talking about how you know, entrepreneurship is so hard and it's hard work and it's a hard slog and anyone who tells you different is, you know, like I was so sure of that story and I was so sure of the fact that you had to put in that that hard work and I did not believe in balance. Like I, once again, I was on stage actually saying, I don't believe in work-life balance. It's bullshit. I just believe you got to work hard and, you know, hard work pays off. And I'm like, God, And I can, I can, I can lead with conviction sometimes and I was doing it and I I feel like ashamed that that was a story that not only was I believing for myself, but that I was perpetuating. I think that whilst, you know, I, I think it's really important to have intention toward the things you want to create and to, you know, put that energy toward that was what I was mixing up like putting energy towards something and intention towards something does not necessarily mean this kind of working yourself to the bone and you know working to the wee hours of the morning and I agree with you a lot of it I loved it I really really did love it but it wasn't sustainable and it wasn't the only way and it was very freeing once I started to see that there were more different ways of approaching things and different ways of getting getting outcomes and getting things done but you know for for anyone listening that's not going down that path mm-hmm. yet yeah. well yeah there are other ways and yeah sure and and there is um I run I run a, a masterclass on this type of thing and and there is that that beginning bit when you first start the business and you you it's like you can't stop because you're so excited and you've got so much energy that you will automatically just stop doing certain things in your life and things will fall by the wayside. But the most important thing to do is do it consciously. Mm -hmm. So to say, okay, I'm going to work my butt off for three months because there's nothing else in the world I want more. Harnessing it versus feeling like it's, you know, what you have to do. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. You know, I want to hire this person or have this level of help, but I could do it very, very calmly in six months, or I could do it in beast mode in three. Mm-hmm. But it's but you do it consciously, and then you become aware that you know your social life might take a little bit of a dip, or you might not be spending as much time on X, Y, or Z. But it's but if you're ever going to kind of give things up in your life, you do it short term consciously, and then you you measure it and you're like, right, the three months has been done. Now let's get get the balance back as opposed to thinking, oh, business is the most important thing in the world. Everything else can wait. And then five years later, you're absolutely haggard. 
Yeah, and you're like, wait, why did I give up all my friendships and important relationships for business? I thought it was so important, yeah. but maybe it's not. Yeah. No, I think you've hit the nail on the head there again with the doing it consciously. And I think when you do it consciously, it also means you can actually have conversations with people about it. Like you can say, mm-hmm. hey, I'm just like so into what I'm creating right now. I'm so excited by it that I'm going to be putting most of my time. So I'm not going to be, you know, doing X, Y, Z social things that I used to be doing. And, and people can be more understanding and excited for you rather than just being annoyed mm-hmm. um, because you've just completely ditched them without kind of explanation or whatever. Yeah. And I think it can be the same with, new relationships or even new friendships like it can be really nice in those early days you've met someone new and you enjoy spending time with them like there's nothing wrong with enjoying that Mm. and when we do it consciously we can harness that powerful energy of something new you know I think there really is a powerful energy around a new idea a new connection just that birth of anything Mm -hmm. and it's beautiful to harness that energy but doing it with conscious intention means that yeah we don't push everything else to the side to the detriment of ourselves and to create future problems for ourselves where we need to like pick up the pieces of things that we've pushed to the side it means we can do those things with conscious intention if one of my best girlfriends enters a new relationship and all of a sudden I don't get to see her as much anymore but she's able to say like I'm just so happy and I'm really enjoying this time and I love you but I want to do this I'm like go have a great time enjoy it enjoy these first love bubbles because they're so beautiful and so fun and I'll be right here and you'll be right there and it's fine whereas if someone just totally disappears off off the radar you know it can bring up feelings of resentment that then need to be repaired like anything done with consciousness I think and self-awareness uh it just creates a much more smooth future path for ourselves and create and maintains harmony even within because I think the word balance sometimes can be a little misleading where every single day must be perfectly balanced between personal time and work time and you know, workout time and family time and friend time. It's not like every day is carved up with these exact perfect percentages. But if we just think about balance as a whole over life, over periods of time um, and not letting things get so far out of balance unconsciously that we're just like, whoa, 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 where am I? Like, what have I ended up in? And those are the moments where you know you've taken some wrong turns where you kind of wake up one day and be like, hang on a second, this is not what I was meant to be creating. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And also knowing that you're, you're your company's biggest asset. Sometimes we'll put ourselves on the back burner to just get this done. But if you're not completely full up and energized and you haven't given yourself what you need, whether that's the exercise, the meditation, the healthy food, as soon as you're running on empty or you're depleted in some way, the amount of energy you're missing is the amount of energy you're not giving your business, your partner, your family, whoever it is. So we've grown up with this story that putting yourself first is selfish. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people believe that and are very, very proud of the fact that they will always put themselves last Um, if at all, get to what they need for the day. And actually, as a leader, it's really important to do the opposite because people will follow you and copy you. And it's so important to me that everybody across the companies are happy, they're balanced, their well-being is good, they're not stressed, they haven't got too much on. Because I know if they're really happy and they're feeling good and their well-being's on point, 
they're going to bring everything they can to work when they come and, and do what they need to do. So, yeah, definitely the most important person. And putting yourself first is, is a great thing. Definitely not a selfish thing. Mm, totally agree. And you know what's interesting? When I had this martyr thing going, what I also noticed was that I would... Okay, so I would come in to save the day because it made me feel valuable and valid, but I would also often be doing that for things that were not my company, like volunteer organizations, board positions, committees I was on. And I think because, you know, there was no risk. Like when I was volunteering and giving my time for free and I would come in and like save the day and do all this stuff, of course, everyone would just be like, thank you, thank you, you're so amazing. How do you do everything you do? Like, oh my gosh. Whereas if I put everything on the line for my company and for me, then, you know, that feels more selfish and it felt more like, I don't know, also risky. Like what if it doesn't work out or there's no one there to like pat me on the back or whatever. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting as well when I uncovered that, that I would be doing this martyr stuff, but it would be also for things that weren't even necessarily like paying off for me. So I was disempowering other people in other businesses and areas that weren't even you know, necessarily where I should have been playing. Like I have my thing and, and my company is important because that's the thing that yeah. I'm most passionate about that I'm bringing to the world and that I've got my team that, you know, I'm looking after, we're looking after each other, but you know, that's the thing that we're working on. Like, why am I deviating my time over here? And I think a lot of that was just the risk thing as well, that I didn't want to risk. It felt like a safer bet. And I think it's very interesting for us also to look at those limiting beliefs that are formed around like, what's safe versus what's risky and the whole idea of success and failure and where we can feel like we can contribute to something and it be successful no matter what the outcome is versus other areas where the outcome's more black and white, whether our contribution is successful or yeah. Yeah. Fascinating this stuff. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's one of my favorite things to talk about. And I think not being scared to fail is really important. I always say to, to everybody really that it's only a mistake if you don't learn from it if you learn something then it was a really valuable learning curve Mm -hmm. you can't if you're playing safe enough to go along and never fall down and never make a mistake then you're too far on the safe side to achieve anything that you're going to look back and think wow and when you do have that chance which the day will come where you look back and a decade of business has gone by you know do you want to be saying oh I'm so glad that um, I played it really safe and I never made a mistake and you know I didn't do anything that was enough in the direction of uncertainty to learn something do you want to look back and think holy shit <laughs> I fell down so many times but I got up every time and the thing is 10 times bigger and has made 10 times more of an impact because I took those perceived small risks but wasn't sure how it was going to go and, and learn something from it being in that high feedback mode is is how we in the companies it's the only way really for growth proper growth to happen isn't it yeah exactly i was just on the phone with my two business partners in the airbnb property management company actually and whilst grow my team is doing great and is really well positioned right now with everybody working from home and all of that like grow my team's thriving our airbnb property management business is not thriving you know travel's been put on hold so we're we're definitely struggling but you know we talked about that very thing that like well 
the only thing we can do right now is learn as much as we can about ourselves and about how we've responded to all of this and about, you know, what we would have done differently if we knew what we know now. And, you know, just looking back, what did we do really well? What did we not? And so we've come up with a bunch of journal prompts that the three of us are going to go away and work through and share with each other next week about how we um, perceive ourselves and how we've grown and or how we can grow through this scenario because we all got together and we decided, well, you know, it is what it is. It's really challenging, but we either get to be victims and be like, oh, poor us, like this has happened. And it's probably pretty easy to be victim right now because it's just something that's happened in the world. It's happened to everybody and it's challenging, but we're like, yeah, but we still get to choose. Like we still get to choose how we show up. We still get to choose how we have shown up and we still get to learn from all of that and take that forward. And I'm just really like impressed with them and excited about going through this process because it means we're not wasting what's happened. You know, we're not wasting. And I think something like what is going on right now, it's very easy to just tap into that collective fear and that collective negativity because it's rife. Mm. And I honestly think the world is like that a lot of the time. Like I don't live in that world. I choose to tap into the collective love and possibility, but that it sort of feels like now's a very obvious time, but generally speaking, you know, who you surround yourself with matters and you can, you can tap into that collective negativity pretty easily and live a kind of victimy type of life or, you know, we go for the possibility and love and potential. And I think that's what real leadership is and using all of these challenges to grow and continue to push ourselves forward and create something of significance, like you said. Yeah, completely. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I don't have any applications or notifications on my phone. I don't read the news or watch newspapers. And it's not because I don't care. And it's not because I'm, I'm ignorant to what's happening in the world, because there are certain things I'll follow and go to when I when I want updates, of course. But the real question I had to ask myself at one point was, how much of a difference am I making to the world by watching all of the negative stuff? And, and I'm a very, very sensitive person. So when I see something sad, it's inevitable. I will end up crying about it. I mm-hmm. feel so connected to people. And it's hard to shift that feeling you know when you finish watching a sad movie and then it lingers with you that's me every time I watch the news or hear something sad and so I've had to protect myself but the bit that made me realize it wasn't ignorant it was like well what difference am I making to it when I'm watching it all day every day am I out there fighting for this or supporting that and so I made my own plan of how to give back and support all of the causes in the world that are really important to me and do that continuously and constantly without having to always feel down because it it actually there is a reaction that happens within your body when you're given bad news or when you see something sad and so if you're able to go out there and make a really positive impact in the world some other way love is always going to be more powerful than fear anyway so I think it keeps you on track of where you want to be. And it's a, it's a really smart thing to do, definitely. Yeah, and when we're in alignment with our higher purpose, then we, the best thing we can do to be of service is to stay in alignment with that and bring it to the world. And that is how we make our positive impact. Yeah. Because not, no one can solve all of the problems in the world. We can all work 
on our what resonates with us most, what we're here to to bring. And I think I'm exactly. I haven't watched the news in over seven years. I'm exactly the same. I'm very very sensitive. I wake up from dreams, um, like you said, stories that people tell me, and I can feel it. And it's been you know, something that I work on and that I learn is to protect my energy and to shake off the energy that I sometimes take on. Even, you know, so many times throughout our call, this is very positive, so I'm okay with the energy, but I can feel your energy. I can feel the high vibes when we hit on something that really resonates with me. Like, pay attention to that in your body. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm always paying attention to who am I, how does the energy of me and somebody else what does it actually do? I feel like when two people come together or a group of people come together, there's an energy that's swirling and it's mixing and it's doing something. And is that energy kind of swirling up and out and expansive and creating, you know, does it feel light and expansive essentially is the words that I use, or does it feel, you know, the opposite is when it feels a bit more sucking and it's going down and it's getting smaller and tighter and it's darker. And I pay a lot of attention to it also spaces places, countries, like I can feel that and I pay a lot of attention to it because I want my energy as much as possible, either neutral or in that expansive kind of space. I don't want it to be contracting um, and taking on things that are not serving. And I think looking at it that way as well also takes the charge out of it. Once again, it's nothing's good or bad. It's just what does this energy combination do? Like I love living in the United States. I feel very expansive when I'm here. When I'm in Australia, I feel more contracted. It's nothing. Australia is amazing. <laughs> this is how my energy intermingles with mm. the energy in Australia. It's, you know, it's and other people like Liz Volpe, who is how we know each other, one of our best friends, you know, she's from England and has chosen to live in Australia because she feels expansive in Australia. So it's nothing to do with anything or anyone being good or bad. It's just about how our energy intermingles with the world around us. And I think paying attention to that and whether that's something you're watching, reading, people, places, whatever it might be, even ideas, you know, like some some ideas for companies can feel really exciting and expansive and other ideas can feel like not like that. And it, it's interesting because we can still have a pull and a charge to things that are not, that are contracting, but we need to yeah. be aware that it's pulling us for a different reason, probably because of like some past stories or past patterns or something that's habitually in us that needs to be looked at and needs to be healed so that we're not attracted to that thing that's actually contractual. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I feel like that was deep. <laughs> I, just, I don't know where that all came from, but it was like, I felt it. <laughs> you know, I feel, I feel grateful to have just heard you say that because it's, it's really true. It's so true. I've, I've, um, I'm living here in the UK and this is going to be a bit of an unexpected truth bomb. <laughs> I love it. But I'm so drawn to LA. I cannot stop thinking about it. Mm-hmm. I dream about it. I follow some really incredible um, female entrepreneurs that are all living in Malibu and they're all in Cali. And I'm just thinking the level of how I'm drawn is indescribable. Mm-hmm. Goosebumps as I talk about it are just unreal. And I, I often think to myself, you know, I'll go there. I'll go there on holiday, and you know, I, one of the girls I'm going to go and do one of their high-level masterminds and the retreats in LA, and it's going to be great. But just hearing you talk about, I had no idea you were in the US. Oh. <laughs> and as you said it, I just think, God, I'm so inspired because, yeah, there's 
there's nothing wrong with England. It's beautiful. It's the Queen's country. And, and I have friends that cycle around the hills and they just love it. And I just look at them and I think, oh, why don't I feel like that? <laughs> I want to go <laughs> bigger because it's the, it's the people that you're surrounded by. It's the, it's the expansion and the ideas and the inspiration I have are just different when I'm in a different space. So I think that you have just inspired me to spend more time in the countries that do that. Oh, I love yeah, it. Thank you. Well, there's obviously a reason why that came to me to share in that moment because I wasn't sure where it was coming from. But yeah, I mean, it really helped me when it was, I was doing some work with a woman who does numerology and all of that. And she talked about the vibrational frequency of different places and she picked up that I felt better in the United States and certain parts of the world. And then that I struggled in Australia and she was asking me and I was like, yes. And she's like, yeah, it's just, it's just a vibrational frequency. It's nothing, no, no, nothing's higher or lower, better or worse. It's just your match with these places. And that helped me feel more peaceful with it as well. And to stop trying to rationalize it because I used to feel guilty that I didn't love being in Australia. And I'd be like, why? Australia is so amazing. It really is. It's a beautiful country. It's amazing. It's all of these things. And I couldn't get my head around it. And sometimes I would feel like I hated it. And I'd be like, why do I hate it? Now I feel more neutral about it. I just have this acceptance and understanding that it's not necessarily where I thrive. Yeah. Um, it's not a bad place to live. It's a wonderful place to live. Yeah. And, you know, she also explained that that can shift throughout our life, which I understand as well, because everything is always in motion. Mm. Just like, you know, you can have a friend that years ago you were super aligned and it was amazing and now it's not. And maybe in the future it will be again. Like you really don't know because we're humans are in motion places the energy of everything is always in motion so being open to it but that's where i come back to just listening to how i feel listening to my body listening to how i feel and following that state i suppose trying to follow more of that state of what feels good and what doesn't feel as good for me and just looking at it yeah not as a good or bad thing just as a thing it just is and it's okay i don't need to understand or rationalize in my logical mind all of that yeah. stuff a lot of it's more just to do with how I feel yeah. so I love it yeah. thank you <laughs> <laughs> my pleasure on that note I think we'll wrap up but thank you so much Katrina for joining me what a wonderful conversation we've ended up having today I'm so grateful it's been great thank you so much for having me oh my pleasure we'll we'll have you back on the show again one day and hear more about yeah. what you're doing I love it yeah in my new country I'll send you a postcard <laughs> yeah <up. laughs> I love it thank you I love the love take care thanks for listening to this episode of conscious culture the evolution of work follow us as we further explore real stories of remote companies and the thriving cultures they are creating to stay updated with all our episodes, subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcasting app. In the show notes of each episode, you'll find some of our favorite remote work and culture resources. However, if you want to have a chat about remote work, how it's done and how it can benefit your company, feel free to reach out to me directly anytime. My email address is sarah at growmyteam.com.au.